This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beats here on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ewitz. Coming up, the PNGFA hit back at their critics and call for patience from Papua New Guinea's soccer community. All these teams and things don't go in their favour. They all have their opinion. But to date, you know, we haven't had anyone give us any substantial uh, evidence or information to substantiate all these claims. The surprise success of Fiji's under-19 cricketers sparks hopes of a rebirth... We've groomed a very good team and this is what we intend to do for future teams coming out from Fiji. It's just a matter of harnessing that love of cricket and that talent to produce results. And the best of Nauru's young AFL talent hoping to turn heads in Brisbane. I think if a Nauruan male or female makes it into the AFL or AFLW system, I think Nauru will go on a public holiday for a week. <laughs> More to come from Matthew Batsua, director of the Nauru AFL Academy, later in the programme. First, though, a new era for soccer in Papua New Guinea begins tomorrow with the revamped, renamed men's PSL, the Premier Soccer League, kicking off for the first time. At one stage this week, the competition was set to begin with the bare minimum of five teams, but with time running out, another three teams were added after they belatedly met the registration requirements. But PNG's reigning national champions at Lay City will not be taking part after their franchise owner Ian Chow pulled the sponsorship plug in apparent protest at the way the PNG FA is being run. Meanwhile, soccer fans are still recovering from the Capels 10-0 defeat in Malaysia and the future of the game in Papua New Guinea is very much under scrutiny. Central defender and former captain of the national men's team Alvin Komalong has been a key figure for Lay City for several years. My heart goes out to the players, really. They're the ones that will be most affected by the decision. You know, they have to look for a club. We've got national team players in there. We've got a Pacific Games coming up where, you know, now they don't have a competition to play in and these are some of our best players in the country. That's a major thing to consider as well. I mean, business has been bad, obviously, but I don't think that it's it's about business. I mean, it's just his frustrations with the game and that's sort of boiled over to the point where he's, he's had to pull out. Are we back in the situation that we were some years ago before John Caponato took over as president where there was a split in Papua New Guinea and there was a rival competition and the game was in complete disarray for quite some time. I mean, are you fearful that that's going to happen again? I don't think that it will happen to that extreme again where we have another league, but it is similar. We have one team pull out because of alleged corruption. Unless something changes drastically soon, we're just going to find ourselves at a point where we're fighting more than we are coming together to grow the game. Comalong's fellow couple, Tommy Semi, shares his concerns about the impact of Lay's withdrawal on the players. A lot of national team reps come from the team. So to see the team pull out from the competition, it's not a good look. But I hope the players are going to start to realise and try to make another option for their career to go to another club, at least get fit and ready for the national team collapse again. But it's a bit sad to see LAFC just pulling out like that. Semi, who is enjoying something of a breakout season with second-tier club Altona Magic in Melbourne, was asked to be part of the PNG squad that was trounced by Malaysia. He opted not to go because of his club commitments, but despite the result, he says he still has faith in the PNG FA. If they keep up to their words and 
you know, the person that they have for football, I think the football will still prosper moving forward. So I'm not too worried about this because I think I know that people in the PNGFA needs to work a little bit extra to try to be more organized and be more responsible, I say. Then you'll see like things will change because if you want to go to a tournament, probably two weeks, three weeks preparation, that's not good enough. However, Joseph Villadonna, former team manager and head of delegation for the Capitals, is concerned that soccer in PNG is once again on the brink. There's a turf war. There's definitely a turf war. Politics of the past is amazing already, out again. So we just need to stand up and say no to this and all of us work together and fix what our focus should be and that's our national teams there's too few people with too much power and if they're not doing it well then we may have to call it this abuse of power we just need to get back pull back and uh, say that football is for all of us and then we can move forward the png fa has cited the age and inexperience of many of the team who played in malaysia as one factor in the result but that's an argument that doesn't sit well with alvin Komalong. I was a young player and, you know, used to hear stories like this and you thought maybe it would get better. But now I'm in the prime of my career going towards the latter part and still nothing has changed. And I just share the same sentiments with everyone else. A genuine feeling of concern. But the state of play currently suggests is it's not getting any better. In 2016, half the starting 11 was 23 and under as well. So we have to start looking at the root causes of why we aren't competing at that level and produce results that are respectable. Joseph Illadonna says the organisation of national team games has been poor for too long and critical changes have to be made. said about our lack of planning, not only in these uh, recent cases, but for some years now, we have never planned well, especially for OFC Shenzhen Games when we all know that they're in the calendar. But then the planning process is very late. So uh, I feel that there is a big problem in there and uh, now we've gone to lay city pulling out and then our 19 ladies no planning they just had no training at all and went and uh, were belted by New Zealand somebody has to own up and wake up and start changing things at PNJF otherwise we'll continue like this we want to see some kind of direction and some kind of plan going forward I think there's simple fixes that if executed right can be turned around pretty quickly but you know in this current state you know I probably share the sentiment what everyone's feeling is like you know what's going on because we haven't heard anything we we don't know what's being planned we don't know anything the png fa has voiced its objections to accusations of nepotism favoritism and a lack of transparency but joseph ladonna says the association has to take criticism on the chin and start getting the basics right like visa applications for overseas matches how can you change when you don't accept criticism and positive criticism there's no doubt Nepotism over at PNGFA, for us who know, we are saying this. They have to listen to us, listen to people like us who are speaking and take it as a challenge and start to change the organization. And one of the positive criticism is this. We need to start planning well. That's all. We're giving last-minute advice to our immigration officials to fix passports. I know that. I'm a government worker, so I talk to government people. Yes, uh, how many times in recent years have uh, Papua New Guinea teams or players have failed to turn up for international matches because of visa problems? Too many is the answer. Uh, Joseph Illadonna there has been involved with soccer and PNG for decades at local, national and international levels. Well, Pacific Beach has made a several requests to the president of the PNG FA, John Caponato, for an interview, but he has yet to respond. However, competition manager Amjad Tekwi has agreed to talk to me. He addresses some of the issues 
surrounding the Capitals. But first, the new PSL. What's his understanding of why the national champions lay city are not part of it? To be honest, I wouldn't be in a position to be able to answer you. I think the answer for that will come from uh, Lay City. We hadn't received any uh, official notice from them in terms of their withdrawal from the competition. Rather, we saw it on their social media platform. Various words have been bandied around, though, as I'm sure you will have seen too. Favoritism, lack of transparency, nepotism. These are accusations that have been levelled not just by Lay City, but others at the PNG FA. How do you respond to that? All these teams, when things don't go in their favour, they all have their opinion. But to date, you know, we haven't had anyone give us any substantial uh, evidence or information to substantiate all these claims. It's the way things work. I mean, when things don't go in your favour, people tend to speculate. That's just how it is. But we move on, we maintain, and we uh, do what we need to as best we can to facilitate the competition. It is uh, disappointing that they will not be participating. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's a choice they make. That's their prerogative. We don't have any influence on that. Presumably, you must be feeling a lot more comfortable about a competition with eight teams than you were about a competition potentially with five. I'm wondering, would that competition have even been viable if these extra three teams hadn't come in at the last minute? Technically, the minimum where we can facilitate a competition is five, but eight teams makes it more feasible, more uh, convenient for all teams. So we don't have uh, teams on by. So, yeah, that is correct. And the fact that you've opted for the new name, Premier Soccer League, what's the significance of that? What does that say, if you like, about football in PNG going forward? Okay, so this is a slightly more elite level than the former National Soccer League, and it's going to be playing a league home and away format. So it is from this Premier Soccer League competition that we will tend to draw players from for the uh, national team, at least the majority. So this is the inaugural season coming up. And I'm thinking that uh, in light of last week's uh, events, the national side has a bit of a problem to lose that game as they did so heavily to Malaysia. I mean, that, that must have come as a, as a shock to you and everyone else involved at the PNGFA, even allowing for the limited time you had to prepare for that game. What I can say is that we went over there expecting to do our best and we played against a Tier 1 team that had a lot of professionals in their team. We didn't really have a lot of high expectations, but we take what we can from the experience. We come back and build on that and uh, prepare for what's to come ahead in the uh, Pacific Games. How comfortable are you that the game is progressing in the right way at the moment in Papua New Guinea? Because there's been so much said in the last few days by all sorts of people, from fans to players to ex-officials, and some of them you will be well aware have been very, very critical of the PNGFA. Are you concerned that there is a big problem here to be solved? Well, what I can say, there are areas that we obviously will need to improve on, and these are all progressive. We are doing what we can to better the situation. And of course, everyone will always have their opinion. People who have little to do with football, people from the outside, you know, everybody wants to have an opinion. But it's basically how we respond to it and deal with it that'll determine where we go from here. What's the situation as regards the women's national competition? That'll kick off simultaneously with the uh, Premier Soccer League this coming Saturday on the 1st of July. With the same number of teams? 24 teams, six teams uh, pair the four initial conferences. That's up in the Highlands, the Northern Conference, Southern Conference and NGI Eastern Conference in Bougainville. So people are going to ask the question, aren't they? How come you can find 24 teams for the women's competition and only eight for the men? Is that where the problem lies within the men's game? Well, there's a big difference in the uh, affiliation fees for the uh, women's comp. 
It's 12,000 per team. That's inclusive of the uh, expression of interest, player registration, and team affiliation. For the uh, Premier Soccer League, it's 150,000. Is there some suggestion, perhaps, that you've priced some of the men's teams out of the market, that maybe that price is too high? Well, if you want to improve the competition, there are certain you know, steps that you need to take, and that is one of those steps. So only the teams who are able to facilitate the fees will participate. So by the sound of it, you're urging people to be perhaps a little patient with the PNGFA and, and see how things unfold over the next few weeks. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. PNG FA Competition Manager, I'm Jad Tekwi, so the Premier Soccer League, the new men's competition in Papua New Guinea. We understand we'll kick off uh, tomorrow. There will be eight teams involved and the competition not on a conference basis, but a home and away basis, which is new in Papua New Guinea. We'll see how things uh, play out, but still a lot of people are very concerned about the future direction of the game. Time now to take a look at some of the uh, news stories making headlines this uh, Friday morning here on Pacific Beach. Uh, Kyle Evans is with me. Morning, Kyle. Good morning, Richard. Uh, We'll start in Fiji, and uh, the the wonderful powers of social media could have caused a major incident in Fiji. Tell us more. That's right. So the country's Home Affairs Minister and the police force have both confirmed they are looking into a fake document which has been disguised as as an official document calling for the military to uh, to take over the country following decisions made by the coalition government. Uh, The document was spread widely on social media earlier this week, prompting police to to issue a statement on the matter yesterday. They've urged people not to be easily swayed by rumours and information contained within the document. Uh, They've also reiterated that there's nothing to be concerned about as far as national security, and they've encouraged people to trust reliable news sources such as uh, media outlets. Meanwhile, opposition party Fiji First have rejected allegations it was their document, with the leader of the party issuing a flat no on the matter, according to the Fiji Village, which is... uh, So, yeah, good news there, and probably not a headache the... uh, the uh, the, the government wanted you know, in what's budget week, Richard? Uh, no, no. And it, it, it does make you worry, doesn't it, that, that one day something like this will pop up on social media and somebody somewhere will take it at face value and mm-hmm. the repercussions could be more serious than they have been in this case. Now to Papua New Guinea where um, the Port Moresby apparently is uh, running out of land, land that it needs to bury the dead. Yeah, that's right. So uh, the Post Courier has reported uh, that 80 hectares of land designated for the city's nine-mile cemetery is uh, fast becoming scarce. Uh, They say at the moment there is space for at least another 200 burials at the rate of about 10 burials a week, but by the end of the year, there will be no more land. Uh, Making matters worse, the Department of Lands and Physical Planning Secretary has made it clear there is no more room for development, and they've actually asked traditional landowners to provide land for another graveyard. Now, that I suspect is a, a ticklish situation. I mean, what have the traditional landowners uh, said about that question? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, according to the art- article, they weren't able to ascertain the outcome uh, of those discussions. However, they did say there were serious questions over the timing of that request. Um, there's also the issue of, of squatters as well. Apparently hundreds have, uh, have settled on that cemetery and made it, and made it their home, uh, further complicating uh, matters and, and taking up space. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that one, but uh, I suspect that's going to be a very sensitive topic in the the PNG national capital. Now, a research project launched in New Zealand to see if kava can be used as a trauma medication. 
Yeah, so interesting one, this one. So two health researchers have been given a $1 million grant from the uh, Health Research Council to see if kava, when used in its traditional way, can help those living with trauma. So this was reported by the New Zealand Herald, and uh, they say um, they'll assess the efficacy of kava when consumed within its traditional setting, which is uh, Talanoa, and it will focus specifically on uh, first responders, correction staff, and military personnel who have seen combat and are suffering the effects of our PTSD and trauma. So uh, do we know how long this project will run for? Yeah, so it's going to start with clinical trials, which will take about three years. Uh, one of the researchers, his name is uh, Dr. Aparosa. Uh, he's a former soldier and police officer himself. He now works at the University of Waikato. Uh, he spent years uh, exploring the effects uh, of Carver. Uh, and he said the aim will be to provide people with a carver experience similar to an intervention or a therapy session where they can have a safe and uh, uncomfortable conversation without the need uh, for a referral. So, yeah, we'll see if, see if they can get there. Interesting. Well, there's no shortage of people around the Pacific who will tell you about the mystical powers of carver, so maybe those researchers have uncovered another. Kyle, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Richard. Carl Evans there with some of the stories making headlines across the Pacific on this Friday morning. Here with the sporting edition of Pacific Beach, and we're going to turn our attention to cricket now. It's a sport which has struggled in Fiji in recent years, but the performance of their men's under-19 team at the recent World Cup qualifying tournament in Darwin has certainly sparked hope of a rebirth. The Fijian team beat all three of their Pacific rivals, Samoa, Vanuatu, and usually number one, Papua New Guinea, and they defeated Indonesia by just one run as well. In the end, uh, Fiji finished third on the ladder behind the winners New Zealand and Japan, and all-rounder Sunir Yalimaiwai was chosen as player of the tournament. The results have delighted the coaching staff at Cricket Fiji and have given them real hope that the sport will will be much stronger in their country in the years ahead. A new practice nets have just been installed in Suva and high performance manager Tomasia Noathiono was carrying out an inspection when I spoke to him about the under 19s achievements. It was quite overwhelming for us Cricket Fiji. We are undergoing some changes within our structure and processes and the team did extremely well for us considering the amount of time they had to be prepared before they left the country and the resources that were used for their preparation. Yes, they did above expectation for us. So based on the results at the tournament, Fiji are the number one ranked under-19 team in the Pacific and they beat Indonesia as well. Just to add to that, this must give you and every Everyone involved with Cricket Fiji, great hope for what the future may hold. Yeah, the future looks quite bright right now with regards to cricket in Fiji. And this is in line with our development pathway within uh, Cricket Fiji. And we are trying to carry on this achievement that the Under-19 have uh, given us in the recent World Cup qualifier. And when they return, there will be some uh, programs initiated by Cricket Fiji so that uh, we retain the core of the team. Some of them are still under 15, between the ages of 15 and 16, and uh, they will be eligible for the next qualifier within two years' time. And uh, we are hoping to carry the achievements of this team towards the next qualifier. And for the rest of the team, we'll be grooming them for national duties. And this is a bonus for cricket as a whole, as most of them is coming from the island. And we are very proud for the achievement that they've uh, given us. They're obviously a very determined group of young players because they managed to defend some very small totals having batted first. They don't give up easily, do they? <laughs> uh, very true, very true. The enthusiasm 
the pride of representing the country and the love of cricket. It just shows the love of cricket that uh, we have here in Fiji. Although with the minimal resources that we have, it's the love of cricket and the determination that they have and team spirit and bonding that has been instilled in them by the management of the team, the coach and the manager, together with the coaching staff here in the country. I think we've groomed a very good team and this is what we intend to do for future teams coming out from Fiji. It's just a matter of harnessing that love of cricket and that talent to produce results, not only for domestic level, but also for international level. You have a senior World Cup T20 qualifying tournament coming up in July. How is the senior team approaching that? I assume you're not necessarily expecting the same kind of results that the under-19s have achieved, or or are you? No, we are not expecting the same results. It'll be the same. We are going into the tournament uh, without any expectation, but we just want to give our best. For the national team, uh, we are working on a program within uh, Cricket Fiji to bridge that gap from uh, age group cricket to the national level. eh? So Cricket Fiji is devising programs and systems so that we're keeping uh, our boys intact with cricket so that uh, we do not lose our boys to other sports like rugby. The benchmark for cricket in the Pacific for a long time has been Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu, you would say, ranked second behind them. Your under-19s beat both those sides in the qualifying tournament. Does that give you hope that that gap will start to close? Because I think it's fair to say that Fiji cricket has been a little bit behind the eight ball for a few years. Yes, very true. We've been uh, working so hard uh, to bridge the gap between uh, Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu, who have been uh, forerunners of cricket in the region for quite some time now. And I believe the performance of this under-19 team shows to us that uh, we are on the right track. We are on the right track to get back to where we want to be. And the performance of the under-19 gives us hope and pride in uh, what's in place and we hope that uh, it will produce more results for our senior teams in the future. And how about in the women's game? Your under-19s, would you see them having similar talents and abilities to what these young men have achieved? Yeah, sure. I believe the talent is there. It's just a matter of tapping our resources into it uh, in the right places at the right time. And in order to do this, it requires a lot of dedication and uh, support, not only from government, but also from the private sector. Have you reached out at all to the um, Pacific Old Sports uh, Organization? Because I, I know they put money into Papua New Guinea, they put money into Vanuatu, Have they done something similar for Fiji? And if not, would you like them to? Very much, very much. Uh, Cricket Fiji is in dire need of support right now. We've uh, reached out to a couple of organizations for support right now and still waiting for their confirmation. And uh, it's a boost for us, the current performance of the under-19 teams, for our men's uh, under-19. And hopefully their performance can uh, open some doors for us. And uh, in the future, we can see support from uh, organizations. Let's hope so. Uh, the under-19s certainly done their bit. And, uh, boy, some of those matches, they were so close and so tense. It uh, made for great watching. The matches were all streamed during that under-19 tournament. That's Tomasi Nawathiono, Cricket Fiji's high-performance manager, on the line from Suva. In the Fale is a brand-new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paolo Latukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music from across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fale, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. 
Richard Hewitt with you on the Friday morning edition of Pacific Beat, where our focus is on sports and international matches of Australian rules football involving Pacific teams are a rare commodity. But next week, the under-19 men's and women's teams from Papua New Guinea and Nauru will take each other on in Brisbane. Some of the Nauru squad have had previous experience of playing overseas, but for many of them, this will be their first time off-island. The man in charge of the Nauruan teams is Matthew Batsua, who in the past has served as his country's foreign minister and in opposition he was famously the leader of the anti-government protest group the Nauru 19. But Matthew has always been a big football lover and now as director of the Nauru AFL Academy he's hoping that some of his players might be spotted by the talent scouts during their Australian visits. About eight of them went to the talent camp organized by the AFL South Pacific crew. That was in March at the Gold Coast. And so those eight players got to play with a bunch of other kids, same level three, under-19s from Papua New Guinea, Fiji and Vanuatu in a combined South Pacific team. And they played Brisbane Lions and Gold Coast Suns academy team. So they've had that exposure, those players. But about half of them will be the first time traveling out of Nauru to play footy. And how do you see the prospects for your two teams up against Papua New Guinea? Quite a daunting task, I would have thought, taking on their under-19s. Yeah, yeah. PNG have certainly been the benchmark for the Pacific. And at the International Cup level, they've been very successful. So we are keen to um, play against them and be competitive against them. I'm not sure if we'll get over the top, but we'll try our best. Our boys and girls have been training in Nauru for a few months now. And so hopefully we'll put on a good show against the mighty PNG Mosquitoes. And I gather that part of the reason that these two matches will be played in Australia is once again that talent scouts will be having a look. So for you as director of the Nauru Academy, you must be hopeful that one or two of your players might get picked up and get put into the system here in Australia, pretty much like A. Sawyer from Papua New Guinea. That is the dream. I think if a Nauruan male or female makes it into the AFL or AFLW system, I think Nauru will go on a public holiday for a week. <laughs> That's how big footy is here in Nauru. I mean, we've been playing football for over 100 years, so it's very big. It's a national sport. We've had about 30% of the population play or participate in our activities. So football is big in Nauru, supported by all the communities because all the communities have teams participating in the AFL Nauru events. And so, yeah, we are hoping that uh, our boys and girls, when they get this opportunity, I mean, we've got this new elite pathway now made possible through the funding of the Australian government through the Pacific All Sports programs, funding AFL and through the AFL to the South Pacific Academies to develop such pathways. And so we have the elite pathways for our talented youth that we identify and then we put through the system and the end product would be then going over to play in tournaments like this so they can be seen by the clubs and the other academies there in Australia. Of course, your history is very much a political history uh, on Nauru, but now as, as director of the AFL Academy over there, different kind of stresses, different kind of nerves perhaps when games are on? No, never, never. It's really enjoyable. I could do this for free. I mean, I love footy. It's been a big part of my life for 30 years. And so, you know, I think the reward would be to see that we get the best out of the football talent here in Nauru because we believe that we do have a lot of talented young players. It's just a matter of opportunities and a lot of luck as well, I guess, and just making sure that they develop not only their football skills, but also their maturity and their discipline as football players outside of football games. And so if we can give them the best opportunity, we are confident that they'll be seen and hopefully one day we see a Nauruan running around in the AFL or in the AFLW. That'll be tremendous. And how do you view the prospect, perhaps, of, of international matches like these, at not just at age group level, but at senior level, perhaps, being played on Ireland? I mean, is, is that something that you would like to see in the future? Is it doable? 
if we ever get to host an AFL event, even at the regional level, say we host the Oceania Cup for under-16s, which happens every year, apart from the COVID-affected years, but that's been happening for quite some time now. It's always been in Fiji. In one year, it was in Tonga. I mean, the only thing holding back Nauru is because we don't have any proper sporting grounds. But once we get that, and if Nauru gets to host one of those events, it'll be like the Olympics. It'll be like the mini Olympics here in Nauru where you get the whole community involved. There'll be ticket tape parades and the whole celebration. That's just our big Aussie rules here in Nauru. Be good to think that that might happen one day. Matthew Batsua, director of the Nauru AFL Academy. His opposite number on this occasion is Prue Sindrawen, manager of the PNG AFL Talent Academy. It's um, first of its kind for our under-19 to travel. So, yeah, it's something big for the players and the coaches as well. Maybe the interest of the kids and everything that everybody put together to make this thing work, the under-19 trip. And tell me a little bit about the academy and, and how many players you have in there at the moment and what sort of levels they're attaining. For the academy side, we have level um, level one, level one, which is the under 14 and under 15. We have the level two, which is the under 16 and under 17, and the level three, which is the under 18 and 19 players. So this trip will be the level three, which is the under 19 traveling. And when it comes to picking the players who will be making the trip to Australia, has that been a difficult task? It's a very difficult task, but we usually run a big talent carnival and then we usually select the players that we think that they are good for the program as well. So when we identify them, we sort to put them in a program that we train them every week, two days in a week or so, and then we finalize the team and then make the team for the travel. How much inspiration do your young players take from the star of the moment who came through the academy, of course, um, Ace Oya with the Gold Coast Suns over here in the AFL? He's been going great guns. His family were there to watch him last week and were in the change rooms after the game, took part in the song. It was a great occasion for all involved, wasn't it? Yes, very big role and very big motivation for the PNG kids as well. Seeing Ace up there wearing the Gold Coast Suns shirt, knowing that he came through the pathway as well, our junior pathway and then through the academy pathway. And now that he's up there, it's a big motivation and inspiration to our kids back here. I'm wondering why was it decided that the matches against Nauru should be played in Australia? Is it sort of seen as a convenient neutral location or, or is there more to it than that. Is this is an opportunity, for example, for young talent to be seen by Australian scouts? Yes, there are going to be a lot of Australian scouts there. That's why they made a decision that the game will be played in Brisbane. So I assume, therefore, that uh, your hope is that maybe another ASOIA will be discovered, either from the men's team or, or the women's team, for that matter. Yep. At the moment, this is my focus. If one or two from the boys' girls' side get scouted, it would be really good. Peru Sindrawan, manager of the PNG AFL Talent Academy and her under-19 teams, men and women, will take on their rivals from Nauru in Brisbane next Wednesday. The countdown is about to begin in earnest for the Flying Fijians with their provisional squad going into camp this weekend to begin preparations for the Rugby World Cup. Head coach Simon Rawalui has chosen a mix of players from those based overseas and around half the squad have been selected from the Fijian Andrua Super Rugby Pacific team. And great care is being taken to cover all bases and all aspects of preparation, including player welfare. To that end, former assistant coach Talatala Joji Rinakama, who also carries the title of reverend, has been brought on board to fulfil a very specific task, that of looking after the players' mental health and spirituality. 
I think this role is uh, not an easy one for me because uh, I have to prepare the boys, especially how to behave and how to act. So everything I will refer to God who will help me to do my job well. So in essence, you're tasked because of your own religious background, looking after the spirituality, if you like, of the group, making sure that they're on a, a mental even keel? Yeah, the spiritual side is very important to all of us. Everything we do, you know, you have to be prepared mentally, physically, and the most important thing is to your spiritual side. So that's where I think they called me again to be part of the team to the World Cup. And to what extent do you see the role being something that you will deal with the whole group? And, and to what extent will it be a case perhaps of identifying those players that need a little bit more individual support than maybe some others? Most of them have been in the rugby arena for some time. Most of them, they are very professional players. So we need a spiritual power. We need the word of God. That is the only thing I know that can change and can help us to regroup and to love each other so that we can do the job, the task we have been called for. What about areas like social media? Because I'm thinking throughout a tournament like the World Cup, players are going to be commented upon, whether they played well or whether they haven't. It may be that some, if not all of the players, have their own social media accounts. I mean, is that something that you will be involved in helping them deal with adverse criticism and perhaps urging them to be a bit careful about what they post. Yeah, that's, that's uh, very important. Very important to us. Social media can uh, destroy. We have to stand together. Social media can destroy. Social media too can help us. So that's an area we got to look for so that we can control them from the social media in everything we want to post. Going back to World Cup 2007, you were involved as part of the coaching setup then. You were one of the assistant coaches. I'm just wondering how easy or difficult is it going to be for you to distance the job you have this time from the job you had last time? The last time I was uh, involved in coaching in the field eh? this year, I think I will concentrate on the offer field to the attitude of the boys and about their spiritual side and everything. Because we got a good coaching panel there. So myself, my role, I think that is off of it. But just to ask you to put your coaching hat on for a moment, and you, of course, have plenty of experience of, of coaching at all sorts of levels in Fiji. What do you make of the team that will be sent to the World Cup? I mean, we have the provisional squad so far, but the team that goes out to France, how good do you think they are? How well do you think they could do? I think this team is a very good team. They are selected from Super Rugby level, from the top 14 level in France. They are selected from the level of competition. So that's why I said it is a very good team. It is well balanced, some experienced players and some players who are coming up, especially those who are playing in the Drua team. And the team has matches coming up in July as the countdown continues towards the start of the World Cup. I mean, are you effectively involved with the team from now or will your role kick in at the World Cup? I'll start out with them end of this week, the 1st of July. I'll be going with the team to Tabeoni. So that's the provisional squad marching into camp there on that day. So it all starts beginning of July. You'll go through July, August and into September. So that's a lot of work, isn't it? You're going to have some interesting times, I would suspect. Very heavy load for me and I think uh, it's not uh, easy. So I seek the power above from God so that he can uh, help me to do my job well. Such a fundamental part of sport in the Pacific. That question is spirituality. Atala Tala Joji Rinakama, spiritual advisor 
to the Flying Fijians for their 2023 Rugby World Cup campaign. Meanwhile, at the World Rugby Under-20 Championship in South Africa, uh, the Fijians haven't been able to repeat the form that saw them push Australia all the way in their opening pull-round match before losing 46-37. The Warriors' second game against England finished a short time ago and the English, unfortunately, cruised to victory by 53 points to 7. And on the Rugby League front... Two big games for our teams uh, this weekend. Uh, Kaividi Silktails, of course, representing Fiji. Uh, they're in Sydney to take on the Hills Bulls. That's uh, fifth place in the Silktails case against sixth place in the Bulls case. So that's a pretty important game. And in the Queensland Cup, uh, the PNG Hunters are still holding out hopes of making finals and they could certainly do their cause some good by beating the Capras in Port Moresby. That game uh, kicking off at 3pm local time tomorrow afternoon. You're with Pacific Beats on a Friday morning and uh, we're talking sport and it's time to cast an eye over some of the sporting topics that have been sparking conversation and social media posts during the week with sports writer and moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players Facebook Forum, Tia Rocco. Tia, good morning. Welcome once again. Good morning, Tia. Can you hear me? Good morning. Ah, there you are. (laughs) Pacific greetings, Nisayandra. Always good to be here, Richard. Absolutely. Now, um, let's talk about the the Rugby World Cup. First of all, we we were just hearing there about uh, the spiritual side of things for the Fijian team. But um, looking at the way the squad has been made up, the fact that around half of the players come from the Endure, I mean, that's vindication, is it not, of, of the whole Endure project, if you like, that they've got to this stage where they're now producing World Cup players. Yes, Richard, after all the bad news we've been hearing about Fiji rugby, the timeliness of the announcement, excuse me, of the Flying Fijians heading to the World Cup has been really heartwarming. Simon Rawailui announced the 39 squad team going in. Um, and with regards to the players, you know, most of them being Fijian draw and others being from the Northern Hemisphere competitions, it just makes sense. Simon and his coaching staff, uh, Serevakula and Bai, of course, are at the helm um, of what I and most people believe to be something special, Richard. And there's, you know, there's a different feel about this team and management. You could say it has somewhat diverted the attention of online angst towards something special that is about to happen for our country. And I think the focus is not about high expectations, as Simon Rawalui has said, but on preparing as best as they can. And they, of course, have the Pacific Nations Cup uh, coming up. And even better news, player whisperer, Fijian drawer, head of athletic performance, Nathanieli Thawanambuka, will be joining the coaching team. And, of course, as you uh, spoke to earlier on, a a pleasant surprise with the announcement of Talatala Chochi Winakama as spiritual advisor, where he will cover not only the spiritual, but also the cultural aspect that is very much important to the embodiment of being Fiji and representing uh, your country. The Reverend, as you said, is not new to rugby. In fact, it was at the 2007 Rugby World, World 
Rugby World Cup, excuse me, um, and um, an assistant uh, coach to former Wallaby and Fiji rep and Flying Fijians coach Ili Tamboa. So I spoke to Ili Tamboa and he said that he would be a great asset as he knows the Fijian player psyche and uh, um, physical embodiment. He also is a well-known figure in local rugby as a coach in the skipper competition. He's well-respected and trusted. And when I spoke to Simon directly after the press conference, he told me that choosing uh, uh, the choosing of a spiritual advisor is about what is important um, to Fijians, family, faith, and not only paying lip service to those things, but it's about investing in what we uh, connect with. And in relation to the uh, Pacific Cup, you know, exciting games ahead. But as a side note, Richard, just as the Wallabies are here to uh, in Arnhem Land uh, preparing for the World Cup in the next couple of months, the Flying Fijians are travelling to Tavuni to get spiritually connected, uh, culturally connected and for their well-being, uh, which is excellent as they carry a big burden on their shoulders. And I think going into the World Cup, they realise the enormity of the problems at home, but they go in it, in it doing it for their country uh, for their, and for their fans across the world who uh, believe in them, Richard. So exciting times ahead. Yeah, exciting times ahead uh, for sure. Looking forward to seeing what Fiji can do at the World Cup, Samoa and Tonga as well um, for that matter. But meanwhile, of course, the saga of the Fiji Rugby Union um, rumbles on. And I mean, one of the little twists that's emerged, well, it's a pretty big twist, isn't it, that they've, they've admitted that they should have paid the women more, although somebody told them they were entitled to more than maybe they should have been entitled to. Um, but they don't have the money to give them. So, I mean, the question is where they're going to find that money and, and when the women will eventually get what's due to them. And an interesting side note, they've been invited to a meeting at headquarters in Suva, but the women have declined that they, they, they don't want to meet there. So I'm presuming they want to meet on, as it were, neutral territory. Yes, it was rather an interesting press conference held with the interim chair slash government administration administrator slash trustee. I mean, it's all rather confusing what to call these people. I feel like we're riding waves that are getting higher and higher in this big ocean of a mess that has been created under the Mbainimarama regime. And the terrible thing about this is the looming question that you and I, of course, have been talking about around accountability who and how will people be made accountable? So during this uh, press conference, it was filled with rather mixed emotions, uh, in particular to what you just spoke about in relation to the women. But, you know, in my view, the, the press conference appears to be arranged rather hastily. There was no order about it. And by this, I mean, it almost felt like a conversation over coffee. And the fans deserve more than this. You've been appointed as government officials going in to fix a problem. But what we hear are more problems on top of what we've already been reporting on. So there is no clear, concise strategy around addressing the issues from an admi administrator point of view, Richard. So be interested to see what exactly is outlined further in their terms of reference. Maisie also asked fans to assist in recovering expenses via game attendance and somewhat jokingly, maybe, he said that perhaps every fan should give a dollar um, to, towards assisting uh, the Fiji rugby. Look, you know, come to us with a blueprint outlining a strategy where fans can as assist Richard, but as I keep saying, people need to be made accountable and, yeah, yeah, so it's rather been interesting what's uh, been coming from uh, Fiji Rugby through Peter Maisie, Richard. And 
A quick word on a story which surfaced yesterday in the Fiji Sun. Um, this is talking about Semirandrandra and uh, when he picked up an injury uh, at the Olympics and apparently his club in England, Bristol, effectively sued the FRU and then CEO John O'Connor took it upon himself to hand over a rather large sum of money in the form of compensation and the board knew nothing about it. I mean, assuming those facts are correct... Uh, that rather sums up the whole crisis that the FIU has turned into. Yes, late last night, Richard, shocking news where the Fiji Sun reported that um, Semirandrandra's English rugby club, the Bristol Bears, had sued Fiji Rugby of the sum of 400000 or just a bit over Fiji dollars for injuries Randrandra had sustained in the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. So apparently there was a settlement agreement that was drawn up and um, John O'Connor was involved and apparently the first in Installment uh, has already been made. Interestingly and unbelievable, um, it's also said that the former rug- uh, Fiji Rugby Board were not aware of the agreement signed by O'Connor at the time. And this news is shocking, indicating the depth of issues that will continue to arise, no doubt, Richard. Now, talking of crisis, uh, the FIU is one. Uh, we have another in Papua New Guinea in the sport of soccer, not not for the first time. The suggestion is that the PNG FA is not running the game as effectively as it might. Now, they have a new competition kicking off uh, tomorrow for the men, the Premier Soccer League. There were only going to be five teams, but they've now managed to get three more signed up. So there will be eight. And uh, they're saying this will be a new level of soccer in Papua New Guinea. But I mean, the, the sport is in a little bit of crisis when the national champions say we don't want to play in that competition. Would you agree? Yes, and as much as the uh, PNG uh, Football Association is trying to be optimistic and, you know, been reading a lot about the problems and the issues that they've been experiencing with the women's team, the Lay City losing uh, their major sponsorship and withdrawal from the new Premier League, the Capitals suffering their worst defeat. Uh, just a couple of days ago, the PNG Courier, Simon Keslep and Marie Sunny uh, reported that the loss without no excuses on lack of international exposure as well as sports integrity in both management and development pathways is a national disgrace, as stated by, of course, soccer fanatics, former representative players, administrators and coaches. They also said that the inconsistency of uh, keeping hold of a head coach and allowing him or her to mentor the national teams for a good period of coaching tenure is something that PNG FA should take heed of. It's obvious that people are calling for PNG football to get their act together around governance and administrators. I'm going to speak broadly, Richard, and say that this is 2023. Sports peak bodies in the Pacific really need to work on their governance issues. Journalists and the public have freedom and access to report on issues happening in their very own backyard without bias and uh, governance in sports needs to be a priority thank you Richard absolutely yes uh, good good governance Uh, I mean we have to say it doesn't just go wrong in the Pacific it goes wrong all around the world but it does seem to go wrong rather often in the Pacific and uh, (laughs) yeah I agree with you too they really do need to sort it out for the good of the fans and for the good of the players but uh, thank you so much for joining us as always on Pacific Beat great to have you on the program 
Always great to be here. Thank you, Richard. Jiroko there, sports writer and uh, moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players Facebook uh, Forum. Uh, you can uh, read her reports uh, and her comments too on the Raw website, which uh, features Tia's uh, material on a regular basis. And, of course, she's a regular contributor to this program. And uh, that rounds out to this Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beat, the afternoon edition along at 5 past 3 PNG time this afternoon. And then we return on Monday morning at 5 past 6 PNG time. Hope you can join us then. I'm off for a little while, so I will leave the sport in the capable hands of my colleagues. Have a great sporting weekend.